Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me, first of all, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Here's what the scripture says about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which was to receive, he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. As those who profess to be followers of Christ, we need to understand that every day of our lives, our faith is on trial. And this is really expressed in two different ways, particularly. Number one, through, of course, the specific testimony of our lives. I think you would agree with me, just think about this just for a moment, that within our sphere of influence as believers in Christ, even as the body of Christ, that we cannot expect those that we have an influence on. It can be family, friend, co-workers, uh, fellow neighbors, whoever comes into our life, we cannot expect them to want God more, trust God more, love God more in their life than what we do in terms of how much we want God in our lives, how much we're willing to trust God in our lives, or even the depth of the love that we have for him. And so every single day as we're living out our lives as believers in Christ, then that means our faith is on trial. What they see, what they hear, what they know about us as we profess to be true followers of Christ. And so the things they're looking at in our lives, I mentioned actually these four things last Sunday uh, in our study together. But I want to bring them back up just for a moment here as we uh, look at the word God has for us. And, and for instance, one of the things they're looking at, of course, is by the way we live our lives, obviously. What they see, we claim to be followers of Christ. What are they really seeing? How are we actually living out our lives? They're looking at our attitudes. They're looking at our actions, our activities, how we approach issues of life. All of that is on display, and because that's on display and we have let it be known that we're followers of Christ, that our faith before them is on trial. Not only how we live our lives for them, but of course, as we talked about last week, how we love each other through him. We are part of the family of God and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to possess the love of God, which is unconditional, which is sacrificial, which is selfless love, and so as we profess to be followers of Christ, they're looking. Is that true? Do they see that love that we have for each other and really for others that come into our lives as well? And so they're looking at how we live our lives for him. They're looking at how we love each other through him. They're looking at how we actually listen to him and obey. I, I think sometimes we think that if someone's not uh, active in church, quote unquote church, and and maybe haven't trusted Christ the Lord and said that they're totally ignorant to what, to what the scripture says. Well, the truth of the matter is they've heard a lot of truth from scripture, whether they've embraced it or not. And so they really know what to be looking for. 
you know. And so they're looking, are you listening to God? Are you obeying God in your life? And so not only how we live, but how we love, but how we listen. And then the last thing we looked at that they're looking at in our lives as believers, but also as the body of Christ, and that is how we look to him by faith to provide. And I gave you a challenge. In fact, last Sunday, if you were here or you were watching through uh, the, the internet, I challenged myself personally. I, I challenged the staff. I challenged the spiritual leadership of the body of Christ here. I, I challenged everyone that was involved in ministry. E essentially, I challenged all of us, the whole body of Christ, with this question. And here's the question. In serving the Lord, listen to this carefully. I just want to remind you of it. In serving the Lord, what are you willing to pray for and trust God to do for his great name? That is for his glory, for him to be exalted, not for us to be exalted, not for me to be exalted, not even for Washington Baptist Church to be exalted, but for him to be exalted in and through our lives. It's an issue of faith. And so our lives every day, we're children of God, we profess to be followers of Christ, and our faith is on trial. But not just through the specific testimony of our life, but also through the situations of life. Because you see, as followers of Christ, our faith, are you listening to say amen? Is going to be tested. And the one that is essentially behind our faith being tested is this great God that we serve. The one where we just magnify how great is his name, how great he is. The King of kings, Lord of lords, almighty God, most high God, our Father, our Abba Father in heaven. He is ultimately behind the testing of our faith. Now he does that in one of two ways. He allows us to be tested. Probably the ultimate example of that would be Job. Would we all agree on that? I mean, he allowed Satan, he gave Satan permission to test Job. You remember in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus gave Satan permission to test Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And the implication of he was given it. So in our lives, our God, our great God, who loves us so much, sent his son, promised that if we receive him, we'd have eternal life, is behind the testing of our faith by allowing our faith to be tested. But not only does he allow our faith to be tested, sometimes he actually is the one who is testing our faith. And probably with Job being the perfect example, ultimate example of God allowing our lives to be tested, Abraham is the one, is probably the greatest example of God actually testing our faith. Here in Hebrews chapter 11, we just have this simple statement that God spoke to 
Abram at the time, changed his name to Abraham later, and and actually called him out of the land of Ur, called him away from home, called him away from his family, called him away from the false religion that he was practicing at that time, and called him away from that land and said, I want you to go, and I'm not even going to tell you where you're going to end up. I'll show you when I get you there. Well, that was a test in and of itself as far as I'm concerned. But the greatest test, I think, that Abraham faced from God is in Genesis chapter 22. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn there with me. Genesis chapter 22. Now I want you to keep in mind as I read this text and we just kind of just remind ourselves of this part of Abraham's story. That we are talking about the one man that God chose by which he was going to bless the whole world. It's the one man through whom his descendants, God, actually created the nation of Israel. Israel did not exist as a people. They're all descendants of one man, and God used him to create this entire nation we call now Israel. And then through Israel, he brought his word to us, his written word. And then through Israel, he brought the living word, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So understand the one who is being tested here. So we kind of understand the level of testing that he has to face. Let's just look at it. Just kind of walk through it. The first 12 verses of Genesis 22. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son in whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. Now immediately when I read verse two, two things kind of just jump out at me. First of all, the fact that God said, take your son, and then he said, your only son. Now, the reason that jumps out at me is because I know Abraham has another son. Isaac wasn't his only son. Isaac was his only son through his wife, Sarah, by the incredible hands of Almighty God. But he had a previous son, Ishmael through uh, Sarah's handmaiden. And God doesn't even recognize him. In this instance, God doesn't even recognize him. And it just kind of reminds me that, you know, sometimes we make the same mistake Abraham did. He knew the promise of God, I'm going to give you a son. And through your son and his descendants, there's going to be as the sands of the sea, as the stars in the sky, and I'm going to bless the whore. But Abraham decided, well, God must be waiting on me to make this happen. And so Abraham decided to fulfill God's will his way instead of God's way. And as a result of that, then all of a sudden there's Ishmael. And in this incident, talking with God talking to him, he does not even recognize Ishmael as the one, his son, that he had given him. So he says, your son, your only son, and then does it hit you that this is kind of outer character for God? 
our image of God? Would you expect the Lord our God to ask one of his followers to sacrifice their child to him? There is nothing in scripture to indicate that that is in character with the Lord God we know. But of course, we know the rest of the story, okay? So we can look back and we can begin to wrap our minds around really where God was leading Abraham. And we're going to see that at the end. But up front, if we stop there, we say, wait a minute, this, this is unusual. So the story begins to unfold. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and, and he split, went, split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place where God had told him. It says on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and I and the lad, meaning Isaac, will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now in the Hebrew, that last phrase, we will worship and return to you, literally reads, we will worship and we will return to you. So you begin to wonder what's going on in Abraham's mind here. He knows what the Lord has asked of him to do, but... This is an incredible declaration of faith here. When you start thinking about it, he says, we're gonna go worship and we, Isaac and I, are coming back. And yet he has this word from the Lord. So it says, Abraham took the wood, verse six, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Verse seven, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but dad, I added that, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. Another unique statement of faith from Abraham. We will worship and we will return. And the Lord will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. Verse nine. And they came to the place in which God told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I'm gonna be honest with you, I cannot wrap my mind around that. I can't. I'm a father, I'm a baba, granddad. I can't wrap my mind. I wish I could get into the mind of Abraham here. What was going on in his mind? But of course, we have these two last verses. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. He heard the voice of this angel of the Lord and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do 
not stretch out your hand against the land and do nothing to him for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, again, your only son, from me. What an incredible test of faith. So I had to ask this question. Why? We know through scripture that God either allows our faith to be tested or he actually will test us himself at times. So I had to ask why. Two simple answers, but they're very significant. So let me share them. First of all, as you see up on the screen, to reveal to us how committed we are to him. Now notice I put that to reveal to us. I mean, he already knows. He knows exactly where I am in my commitment to him. He knows exactly where I am and how much I want him in my life. Are you listening? Say amen. Amen. How much I want him in my life, how much I'm willing to trust him in my life, how much I really love him. He already knows. But one of the most successful schemes of Satan is to deceive us on where we think we are in warning him in our lives trusting him in our lives, loving him in our lives. And the only way he can break through that scheme, break through that deception, is through the testing of our faith when all of a sudden, it's all right out there in front of us. It's easy for us to say, well, obviously, I want the Lord in my life. I trust him, I love him. That's it, particularly as we come together, worship, you know, fellowship after we got all the support, all the encouragement here. This is a safe place for us as followers of Christ. And so it's easy to say, I want him in all of my life. I I trust him with everything and, and I love him with all of my heart. Then the rubber hits the road through testing. And that's when we find out exactly where we really are. Because here's what happens. As Satan deceives us, we become comfortable where we are spiritually. Because we think we're committed. And so we hit the pause button. Not consciously, But yet in reality, we hit the pause button on our spiritual growth. And when we hit that pause button on our spiritual growth, because we think we're okay, we've arrived at a good spot, and so we want him, we trust him, we love him, and we just level out. You ever heard the old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Well, that applies to faith. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. There have been many who have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. They're on fire for the Lord. 
and they're growing spiritually and they're trusting God, they're wanting God, they're loving God and God is doing things in them and God is doing things through them and it's all exciting and then they finally get to that point what I call getting over being saved, you know. And, and the joy begins to settle out, just kind of uh, push to the side. And now we're going through the motions. And as we're going through the motions, instead of it being the emotion of faith and trust and love of God, then all of a sudden our faith, we stop using our faith and it gets weaker and weaker. And there are those who at one time, God was working mighty through them. And now they can barely trust him just for the basic things of life. Faith is just like our physical bodies. I do not like to think about my (laughs) physical body when I was in college. Because playing sports, being part of the athletics at South Carolina, the football program, I'm working out every day you got to get stronger you got to get faster you got to get more solid so you're worked four years you're working you know to build that strength and and uh, increase that athleticism if you bought everything and so you're you know and, and so from here down you know I look pretty good from here up couldn't do much about that this is what it is right And the reason I don't like thinking about it is because I can look in the mirror today. What happened? All right. That was 44 years ago. I get it. (laughs) You know, things do change. I get that. Why don't you think about this? I quit. I did. When I... When I walked across that stage and got that piece of paper, which by the way was blank, they sent me the real thing through the mail, I quit. I quit running, I quit working out with weights, I quit doing all that stuff. But what if I had maintained that? What if I had continued? So even now, if I had continued, listen to me, if I had continued to work out, continue to, to, to get stronger, continue to do the things I was do, do, doing as I've been living my life, well, I'm still at my age, I, obviously there's still going to be limited, but don't you think this would look a little bit different? <laughs> and don't you think I could do a whole lot more than what I'm able to do now? I didn't use it. And I lost it. Well, I kind of gained it too, but you know what I mean. See, that's what happens. And so from time to time, God either allows us to be tested or he even tests us so that we'll take a real look at where we really are. Let me tell you what his ultimate goal is. His ultimate goal is get you out of commitment. So, what'd you say, Pastor? <laughs> yeah, he, he, wants, he wants to get you out of commitment. Why? 
Because he wants to get you to surrender. Oh, there's a difference. Can I remind you of that? You say, in commitment, I'm in control. I still have control. I decide what I'm going to commit to. I decide the depth of that commitment. And not only the depth of that commitment, but how long I'm going to embrace that commitment. You see, I'm still in control. And so I might be asked to do something and I say, yeah, well, I'll, hey, I'll do it to December. I'll commit to that until December. Or I'll commit to that for one year. Who's making that decision? I am. And and this is what I'll give you. That's commitment. It's not surrender. And what God really wants from us is surrender. We can call him Lord all that we want. Listen to it. We can call him Lord all that we want. But he's not actively Lord of our lives until we are surrendered. Because when he's Lord, he makes the decision. When he is Lord, he tells us where he wants us to serve. He tells us the depth in which he wants us to serve. And he tells us how long we're going to serve. You okay? You hear what I'm saying? So he wants us to grow spiritually. So he can move us from commitment to surrender. Because when we are surrendered, oh God is so awesome in us and through us. Because he's truly Lord. So he allows us to be tested. He actually will test us to reveal to us how committed we are with the goal of getting us to surrender. Now, sometimes, just share these four words with you right quickly. You know, when we think about the test we face in life, these four words will pop up in your mind. Been there, done this, every one of these. First of all, unreasonable. Sometimes it disappears, absolutely unreasonable. I can think Abraham is saying, uh, 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 Lord, this is Isaac. He's the one you gave us by the works of your miraculous hands. He's the one of promise, your promise. He's the one that you said through his descendants that you would bless the whole world. Seems a little unreasonable here. Not only unreasonable, sometimes just, just flat untimely, right? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that the test of life come at the worst time? The only untimely. It's not only, Lord, why, but it's the second question, why now? <laughs> Things are going so good. Why now? Unreasonable. 
untimely, unfair. Yes. How about unbearable? Been there. And a lot of you have been there and there's some of you right now that I know in this room, you are there. It's tough. But I want you to notice something else. Not only to reveal to us how committed we are to him, but to reveal to us how committed he is to us. Let's be honest. When do we really cry out to God? We have our morning devotions. Hope you do. But when do we really just get on our face, get on our knees and cry out to God? When he has a stretch to the limit. That's when we, yeah. He's the last resort. So we start crying out to him. He sees it coming. He knows. And it's then we discover just how committed he is to us. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Let me just share a couple of verses with you and I'll close this up. Deuteronomy chapter 7. In verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice that word covenant. Do you, do you realize, do you, that you are in a covenant relationship with the Lord and having accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's, he's your father, yet you're in the family of God, you're in the kingdom of God, but you're in the center of a covenant where you responded to God and God has responded back to you. And he is perfectly faithful to everything he promises in that covenant. Look at this. Not only Deuteronomy 7, but Joshua 1 9. Remember what he said to Joshua? Have I not commanded you? Question. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. I love this out of Numbers. Look at this with me. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. God cannot lie. He can't be in conflict with himself. He cannot lie. He will not lie. He cannot lie. Nor a son of man that he should repent. And then he says, has he said? And will he not do it? 
Has God ever failed to do what he said he would do? No. From eternity past to present to eternity future, God is perfectly, eternally faithful to his word. Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? But you see, we're kind of like Abraham. When life is just going on from day to day, we kind of get focused on what we can do and not what God has promised he will do. And so he needs to remind us just how committed he is to us. And that's when he gets us to that place where we're stretched and he's the one we call upon for him. So let's close this way. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come up. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads in the spirit of prayer. Would you just do that? just want to close by giving you a chance to respond to what the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart about this morning. There, I know there are those here today.